Before we get into today's episode, I want to tell you about Aventure, a new platform that's making venture capital available to the masses. It doesn't matter if you are an accredited or non-accredited investor. Aventure provides a opportunity to diversify your investment portfolio by providing access to investing in venture capital funds. The Aventure app provides everything you need to make startup investments, including extensive research material, seamless transaction processes, and allocation measures. For fund managers, Aventure seeks to help you streamline your operations and launch your fund. Now, typically, venture capital and startup investments are liquid, which is a major pain point in our industry. Aventure is fixing this by offering periodic withdrawals for its investors. I and many others in the industry are so excited about this launch. Their first fund launch is coming early next year. So if you want to be the first in the know, join their waitlist at aventure.vc. That's A-V-E-N-T-U-R-E dot V-C. Also check the link in the show notes. Aventure is a California-based fintech company and operates independently from investment advisors on its platform who may be registered as investment advisors in the U.S. or qualify for exempt reporting status. Hey, I'm your host, Mike Gelb, and this is the Consumer VC Podcast, where we discuss the intersection of venture capital and consumer innovation. If you're enjoying this show, also subscribe to my newsletter at theconsumervc.com, where you'll receive all new episodes straight to your inbox and a weekly recap of all consumer deals happening. All content and episodes are for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not investment advice. Before we get into today's episode, I want to tell you about Aventure, a new platform that's about to launch that's making venture capital available to the masses. It doesn't matter if you're accredited or non-accredited. Aventure provides an opportunity to diversify your investment portfolio and invest in private funds. If you're a fund manager, the Aventure app also provides everything you need in order to make startup investments, including extensive research materials, seamless transaction processes, and allocation measures so you can properly diversify your portfolio. Now, typically, venture capital and startup investments are liquid, which is a major pain point for industry. Aventure is fixing this by offering periodic withdrawals for its investors. I and many others in this industry are so excited about this launch, they are preparing to list their first fund in the beginning of next year. So if you want to be the first to know, join their waitlist at aventure.vc. Our guest today is Matteo Marietti, founder and CEO of Cook Unity. Cook Unity is reinventing the food delivery experience and making it easy for busy people to eat well at home by curating a marketplace of great chefs and unique crafters. We discuss how he founded Cook Unity, how he developed relationships with some of the top chefs in the world, and how he addressed the cold start problem that you have with a marketplace type business, the response from the pandemic, and when they will hit profitability. Without further ado, here's Matteo. Mateo, thank you so much for coming on the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Mike? Thank you for having me. Doing great. Doing great. Thanks. So I wanted to start at the very beginning. What got you into cooking and and also into entrepreneurship? That's an interesting thought because um, it's part of your personal journey and you can uh, look back and kind of remember things in different ways. But for me, I think it it all comes down to um, where I was born originally. I was born in, in Argentina and in a farm. My dad is a farmer and I was kind of exposed to um, that version of food and a lot of animals, like a lot of 
if we wanted milk, we wanted a cow, we wanted to eat meat, we had to decide to slaughter a, a sheep or a cow. So like I was very connected to the the, the, the early side of food, um, the more natural side of food, and I really enjoyed that. Then I moved to cities, and I was always conscious about um, how food arrived to my plate. So even though then I studied something different, business economics, my first kind of um, passion to do something on my own was around food. Uh, so then the second question is about entrepreneurship. Um, I guess, um, well, I mean, my parents both are independent, so that probably influenced some. Uh, but I guess it's about having a vision, having an idea that doesn't exist, can be big, can be small, but doesn't exist, and you're passionate about that thing. And entrepreneurship is just the vessel where it's um, super fun to try to make a reality of something that you're excited about but doesn't exist in the world yet, right? Um, so I think I always found um, the fun of doing that. So I understand that part of your passion was you grew up on a farm and really understood you know, farm to table, so to speak. You understood exactly the food you were eating, where it came from and stemmed. When you moved into the city, you didn't have that. You didn't have the that ability to to know exactly where your food came from. Well, when you were, I guess, exploring this in terms of maybe how to bring maybe the the what you were experiencing in the farm right to the city, what was kind of your first step? So before Cookie and D, um, in 2007, I was 21 back then. That's when I started my my first um, food startup. Uh, back in my home country in Argentina. And the logic was uh, relatively uh, simple. Um, and I was obviously much less experienced back then. So I think it was most based on the um, simple insight that my generation, the older millennials, um, I was living in my parents' house. I was 21. And it was like, there is no way I will like go to a grocery store, shop, chop, cook, clean, and do that every day, right? Like, I don't know, it felt like too much work um, living by myself. And um, then kind of I connected that need that probably my generation will want to spend less time cooking and will have different expectations for how to solve eating with my passion around the whole supply chain of food and the whole value chain of food and farmers and cooks, chefs. Um, and I thought that if you remove the expensive storefront and you remove some elements that are not necessary for delivery, like uh, decor and the service, which I absolutely love. But when you're on a Tuesday night in your home and you want a convenient, great meal delivered to you, you don't need all that. So restaurants have that by design. So I thought that if you remove all that, you can get to a more convenient uh, direct-to-consumer option. So my uh, previous business was different than Cookie in the sense that it was not a marketplace, it was not a platform. Um, we employed the cooks, we, we created the brands, uh, more like a classic direct-to-consumer food, but it was delivery only, we watched, which was relatively new in 2007. Um, and I thought that was the way to just put the dollars that customers are paying in what matter when you care about food at home. The ingredients, the weight of ingredients, the, the, the cook or chef, the recipe, etc. Why did you decide to shift into a into what 
ultimately became, you know, cooking unity and into a, a marketplace style uh, concept? Yeah, I think there's uh, two reasons. Um, my previous, my previous uh, experience, my previous business, I did that for a little bit over uh, eight, eight, nine years. And it got enough scale to teach us the important practices of uh, great food and working with, with chefs and cooks and, and what customer, what make, makes food customers happier. We had uh, around a thousand employees, um, 35, 40 locations around South America. But there's two things that I learned while running that business that um, the traditional business models in food, there are all variations of uh, vertical integrated businesses. So it doesn't matter if you're a fine dining restaurant or a fast food chain, kind of you decide the brand, you decide the menu, you hire the cooks, you train them, you run everything, right? And uh, learning number one on the customer side, scaling great food and scaling great food while offering an always growing um, variety or assortment to customers is really, really hard to do because um, you need to like be an expert in uh, a specific type of cuisine. I mean, it's not impossible to cook something that you don't know, but it's, impos- it's very hard to do, do um, exceptional meals if you're not an expert on that. Um, the food, the culinary, uh, so like culinary is still a craft. Um, luckily, it's very artisanal, right? People master this craft for decades. Um, so I guess the first thing is food is not equally distributed. Uh, if you're lucky to live in one of these modern big cities, you'll have a lot of options. But even then, you'll have only access to the uh, restaurants that are two, three miles around you. If you live in the suburbs, you don't have a lot of options. And even if you live, I live in Brooklyn, in New York. I love a restaurant in Upper West Side. Uh, I mean, I cannot access that in my home. I need to like drive there or take the subway and go there. So for consumers, they don't have access to the best food and all the creators. And for creators, they have even less access. The second learning, uh, and this is maybe more personal for me, I, at that point, I am, 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 we employ and I work together with a lot of cooks and chefs. And I got to learn and, and, and be exposed to their own journey, their own tribe and like of culture and philosophies and passions and frustrations. And I realized how um, broken it was the journey of someone that decides to make a living cooking for others, which is one of the most generous uh, careers that you can do, which we need to admit that is not necessarily um, the most attractive, economically speaking, and it's like relatively um, hardworking type gig, working at nights in restaurants, not a lot of flexibility. And they do that because they're passionate about cooking, but they do it in spite of the opportunities not being like the best, right? So I thought that um, a more horizontal uh, platform where instead of uh, calling the shots and telling this is the brand, this is the recipe, and this is and do this and do that, we will create the ecosystem to build the tools, technology, marketing, logistics, kitchens. So the creators can focus on what they love to do and they do best, uh, creating amazing recipes, building teams that are, are proud of that cuisine and the relationship with their fans. And we will take care of everything else. A number of good points that you mentioned, one of them in particular that I loved is that I didn't think about is how the restaurant is actually completely vertically integrated from um, from obviously sourcing all the way to you know the food on your plate, where 
and you're actually how you're thinking about it is actually let's just change um, that part of it where we actually are focusing on, you know, building up the marketplace, you know, making sure that, you know, you actually have the demand, obviously, um, as well as the supply, and as well as I imagine uh, facilitating all of um, kind of being the the facilitator when it comes to the meals, um, and getting those meals delivered, and to, uh, to the actual customers themselves and actually breaking it down uh, by, by that way. How and also on your point as well about chefs too, I'd, I'd imagine that there's a number of chefs that you know, don't get the, don't have the opportunity to really build their brand or become notable for what they cook or what they do, because you, at point blank, you, you know, the restaurant, right? You don't always know the chef, but you know, the restaurant that you enjoy, but you don't know always the cooks who are actually behind the scenes that are actually, you know, creating it, um, creating the the meals are actually the ones who are actually creative and actually inventing, you know, the, the new meals, only very, very few are. And so you're kind of giving an opportunity for these chefs to actually have, you know, their own name, which is really cool. Let me let me say first and be very clear. Um, myself and everyone at Kukiti, we love restaurants. We go out a lot. We probably spend um, irrational uh, percentage of our income in, in, in going out. And I think that restaurants do a critical, have a critical role in culture, in society. But restaurants are designed for a different use case. Um, what we're trying to provide is a better option for eating at home if you don't have the time or the will to go to a grocery store, shop, shop, cook, clean every day. This is not a replacement of restaurants. Um, Most of our uh, chef partners in the platform own restaurants, um, co-own restaurants. Like These are different use cases. The thing is that in the last 10 years, um, restaurants, because they were already built there, became the place also where the delivery, so the food at home, was produced. And that itself had some um, problems or opportunities. Number one, restaurants were not designed for large volumes. The equipment is not designed for large volumes. The kitchens are not designed for large volumes. Um, they are designed for feeding 80, 100, 150, 200 people in a day. Um, we're trying to come up with a solution that can feed the daily meal and thousands of people, um, which just reach a million meals a month. So they're not designed for that. At the same time, as you said, for example, and we can name others, but the people cooking behind the scenes, and many times the, the, the head chefs or the head, the, the creative creators, um, don't have um, a, a front and center role, right? And, and I think that is something that even within the restaurant experience eating out, some do better than others, right? Um, there's definitely the type of restaurant that you go because you heard the story of the chef or the chef is there or sometimes the chef can come to the table or it might be a food truck that the chef is the person like also making the invoices and you and you get to talk to that person. So some of the best culinary experiences are not always in the fanciest places. Um, um, I remember like some of the most memorable experiences sometimes happen in a more social gathering or in a street food somewhere traveling around the world. But many times the connection with the creator, the creator, the creator with the cook was there. So that's what we're trying to recreate. And that's a very important component. How, how do you also, when you were first constructing cooking unity and focusing on daily meals for people, because the restaurant is a special occasion. Right, it's expensive to go out to restaurants. It's th- this is not designed for, as you say, this is not replacing that kind of special occasion restaurant type 
um, experience. This is designing to almost um, give an easier option. Um, that's that, that's also fairly affordable for people to actually eat. Um, eat, you know, um, to to actually have their three meals uh, throughout their day, hopefully every day with 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 cooking unity. How how did you think when you when you when you first discovered or thought about okay? I want to just take, I, this is going to be a marketplace business. I'm not going to own everything, right? I'm not going to vertically integrate the entire supply. Where did you think about what what Cooking Unity actually uh, composed of on the CapEx and, and supply side? Meaning, do is um, all, all the kitchens, is is that under cooking unity or is that is that the chef's responsibility to have their own kitchen? Um, and also and also uh, fulfillment as well. Yeah, let me describe how Cookity works on the on, on the behind the behind behind the scenes because I think that um, not many people know this. And um, as I do, I can explain why we made some of those decisions. In the current Cookity model, Cookity build kitchen infrastructure. So we have kitchens, we have cooking equipment. We have uh, fulfillment and logistics. We provide ingredients. So the best chefs of a city, right now, could get this in seven cities, New York, Los Angeles, uh, Chicago, Austin, Atlanta, Miami, and Seattle. The best chefs of the city can bring their teams to cook every day their best recipes, right? So we provide ingredients. Um, so we source that and we consolidate the needs of all the chefs. Uh, we provide the kitchen space, the kitchen equipment, the permitting, and then we consolidate all those meals, we package them, and we ship them to consumers. There is So the criteria to decide what should Kukiti do or what should the platform do and what should the users do, the, the sellers, the creators, is mostly based on, I mean, I can use business jargon, but I, I prefer to do it even easier, is like who will do it best, <laughs> right? Will, will Kukiti do it best or will the, the, seller, the sellers and the chefs will do it best? Um we can hire cooks. We can hire uh, hundred at this point. Probably we'll, we should have like six hundred cooks. Um, in, the, in 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 the, in the reality, it's not like that. It's six hundred cooks working for hundred chefs um, in in their teams for their LLCs for their brands. And it's not impossible to hire hire six hundred uh, cooks. And we're not the company in the world doing the largest volumes of food, even though we're a large uh, producer of food. What's really hard is to do dozens of different cuisines in the, under the same team and roof and hundreds of different recipes really, really well, right? That will be really, really hard and unprecedented. And I don't think there is a good way to do that. And because, because we believe that customers, especially the modern customer, food customer, the modern eater, wants variety for a, for a, for a few reasons. Um, more and more people have want to customize their food. They have like different criteria for personalization, allergies being one, diets, right? Now people use like biomarkers, this watch, another thing that tell you like, you need to eat more of this, you sleep well, you sleep not well, you're training for a race. Like there could be multiple reasons why you want to um, more intentionally, more mindfully, like customize your food. Like I need this type of ingredients, more macros, more this, more that. But there's also the cultural aspect of it, right? People travel more and more. People, food, the world became more global. So the expectations of customers is that, yeah, one day I will eat my food from childhood and another day I will eat Laotian food. That was not common 20, 30 years ago, but now is what modern customers expect. 
Um, people in, in the household might have different preferences and tastes. So there's, a, and people might want different things during the year. So variety, we believe, is very important. The delivery aggregator platforms that aggregate restaurants uh, provided a first great evolution on that, where you can choose among hundreds of different restaurants. But two problems. I need to, we need to align in the household what we're eating every night. And second, the price point is not for the everyday meal necessarily, right? You'll end up paying for great food, 25 to $50 per meal for high quality meals. So we believe the variety is very important and it's very hard to do vertically integrated. So that is um, a big criteria on who should do what. At the same time, it will be really, really hard for chefs. Let me say the example of New York, our biggest market, um, we have around 40 chef teams there. They cook collectively more than 400 different recipes every week. And those 400 recipes need to source more than a thousand different ingredients, type of ingredients. It will be really, really hard for an individual business, an individual restaurant to source with a level of complexity. That's where we build software. That's where the technology comes in. That's where the, like, the complex operations comes in. And for them, they just come to our facility, they go to their kitchen, and they have all the ingredients there. Um, that's also why we chose to start this platform as a subscription service first, because the subscription is where users are um, expect and are okay planning ahead. And in the current form of Cookity, we need that um, time to be able to place all these orders and have the chefs cooking the day before, etc. That makes sense. I mean, also with the subscription, you have a bit more consistency as well. As um, so, you might be able to forecast or plan ahead a little bit better than as those you you know weren't didn't have a subscription and were relying on. Okay, how many people are on the website now? And you know, clicking and, and obviously buying now and and what have you. Um, so I understand. So with, so so, how do you then think about uh, quality control? When it comes to, since you have, you know, a lot of moving pieces, a lot of chefs, a lot of different ingredients, um, all at your kind of cooking, um, all at your kitchens. Yeah, I think there's, um, that's a multi-variable type problem um, and is top priority for us as the platform of chefs and as the platform that wants to um, democratize great food in the world. So, of course, convenience is important, but quality and, and great food is even more important for us. So a, a few important things. I don't want to be like give a comprehensive answer here because it could be a long answer, but like uh, the most important things here. Number one, we have um, masters in their craft, right? Like we have some of the best chefs in the country in our platform. Um, most of them, uh, many of, like most of them own amazing restaurants or have worked in amazing restaurants, and they're like they're cooking the same recipes with similar ingredients, with the same type of cooks and teams that they will do in the restaurant. So it's cookity food is produced, is cooked in a very similar fashion than fine dining restaurants and like the restaurants that we love. The difference is that is uh, plan ahead and is designed to produce in bigger volumes. But the talent cooking is the same, the ingredients are the same, the recipes are the same. Second, we have the ingredients that we source. Like if we have great ingredients, very likely the food will be high quality. And if we have non-great ingredients, doesn't matter the chef, doesn't matter the recipe, the food would, wouldn't be great. And uh, one good thing about consolidating out of chefs under the same roof 
is that we can leverage that nice um, volume and that that kind of purchasing power in the commerce scale to go and, and and negotiate kind of better deals with great producers, vendors, farmers at still affordable prices, so we can keep the eleven seventy dollars per meal starting price because it will be very easy to like just source the very best as a small business and many restaurants decide to do that, but then your average entree is $35, $45, right? So so that is important. It's kind of one of the competitive advantages of, of our model um, and what chefs love because chefs all care about, believe me, that all care about um, getting their creations of their food to many more people. Even the very successful chefs in my own, like 10 restaurants, 15 restaurants, they kind of struggle uh, a little bit with this um, lack of access. And there's like, okay, I'm only feeding really 500 people a day or 1,000 people per day. I would love to feed a million, um, but, it's, but it's not easy. So the access to ingredients is, is great uh, for them. And the third one is very important. That is the QA, the quality control around food safety. Because we still produce food and we need to do it in a safe um, way. So um, there is about the kitchens that we can build, the, the tools and the, the systems that we can provide to the chefs. But that is one of the few things that we participate on in the cooking process. Like we don't chop the onions or we don't uh, cook the steak at the right temperature or marinate the chicken. But we do have a food safety team uh, on site that is uh, supporting the chef teams and auditing everything. I appreciate the uh, the breakdown when it comes to quality. How how did you attract the best chefs to come onto uh, Cooking Unity, and what was what was that like? What was um, uh, how and, and and how I guess in the future do you think about adding more chefs to the platform? Well, I hope we could have hundred times more today, and we 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 work hard to figure out a way to. Um, invite many more chefs faster. Right now, we have a very long wait list. And the reason for that is not that we don't want to work with more chefs. That's part of the reason why this company exists. Um, different than other uh, food platforms, we only work with chefs. We exist to empower chefs and to connect chefs with their fans. Um, but the problem is uh, because chefs need to build teams and come to our facilities, because of the reasons that I explained before of all the benefits that it has, they need to um, sell, cook and sell meaningful volume in order to, for that to be economically viable for them, right? So um, the, the constraint on more chefs is having more customers. And even though Kukiti has been the fastest growing uh, food startup in the U.S. in the last three years, um like the more the more the more customers join us, the the faster we will onboard chefs. So uh, even for all um, for for all the people out there like that never try cooking, please give us a try because that means that we can invite more chefs to join us. That will have like another income um, to develop their craft, and 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 we will be uh, helping the, the community more. No, that's that's um that's really helpful, and I'm 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 sure that's obviously the goal to always have more and more chefs on the platform and. Um, and obviously be, being able to deliver a lot more variety when it comes to, when it comes to food, how, how did you approach, I know you said New York is your biggest market. How did you approach or even think about market, market expansion? I assume that you started in New York as well. 
um why um why did you choose that city or or which city did you choose to uh uh to begin uh cooking unity and and how did that whole process went uh go down so first the reason why we chose new york is few very concrete reasons, but also very subjective reasons. Um, New York is probably the most exciting culinary city in the world, uh, very subjective reason. New York is still a very powerful startup tech ecosystem. So we thought that probably we'll have the best combination of both because we consider ourselves as much as a tech company, as a food company, and other cities might have more than one than the other, and New York was more balanced. I think it's also pretty cool to uh, create a food brand in New York, a chef brand in New York, uh, with all kind of the, the 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 history that New York has. If we can make a brand that is a New York brand, um, expand around the world, that that's that's pretty cool. Um, but that's the reason for New York. Then we need to choose other cities, and uh, we choose the cities. First, a little piece of information: like our kitchens cook locally, so in <laughs> in New York. I'm today in, in, in our kind of co-working space in our New York kitchen where the cooking team and the chef teams can work um, and collaborate. But the New York kitchen serves the Northeast region, not just New York. So we cook in New York. They cook in a Brooklyn facility, but they ship meals to Boston, D.C., Philly, and r- rural areas of New Jersey and Pennsylvania, right? So we, we cook locally, but we serve, we distribute, the food regionally. So then it becomes, um, what are the most exciting culinary hubs in the country that can serve a bigger region? So the LA kitchen serves all California, Arizona, Nevada, right? Um, and, and so forth. So it's, it's a combination of the region with the where we have the most exciting culinary things happening, the, the most exciting chefs in that region. No, that's really helpful. That's really helpful. How how did you also think about because of course this is a pretty capital intensive business, uh to say the least, with um with uh the kitchens and then also um all the fulfillment on on orders. How did you approach raising capital and what what were some of the reasons why investors might have passed um initially and um why also were some of the reasons why investors you know, thought that this was a really interesting proposition? Mike, this is a highly complex business model and we want to embrace that. Um, we, um, everyone working here loves food, loves chefs, um, is passionate about the industry for different reasons. And we dream about creating a platform that can do, can do something similar to what Spotify did for music or Netflix for video where for the creator, they have access to the world audience. And for the uh, um, customer, they have access to the best products and the best creators. Food is atoms and kind of a, a complex version of atoms, right? Um, and it's perishable and artisanal. like And these very nice, shiny analogies that I just share are like bits. So it's a very different kind of ambition. Uh, so um, we, this is a highly complex business. Um, most rational people won't even touch it. Um, founders, <laughs> employees, and, 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 and investors. But we want to embrace that complexity, and we believe that over time that would be an advantage. I love this intersection of food tech and logistics. 
Um, many people on our team uh, come from similar backgrounds and have been innovating in food and technology and logistics and some of our investors as well. So like, at, I think at, at least at the first years of Kukiti, Kukiti is in the year five. I think you need to, um, and if you join the team or if you join our cap table, you need to like already have some thesis around this where that complexity is not scary. And the capital intensive nature of it is part of that complexity. You might be surprised of uh, how efficient we are um, for the industry and for the business model. Um, so we didn't um, spend um, too much money for the size of the business that we built so far. And cooking is already profitable in several markets. But it is, comparatively with a SaaS business, uh, a more high-intensive uh, business, for example. Um, what's nice is that within the industry, Kukit is showing signs of a much more scalable model than others based on, without sharing specific numbers, but based on CapEx and capital necessary to expand. Our expansion, we opened six, six kitchens in nine months. We, we were in New York alone. And six, nine months later, we were, we were nationwide and in, uh, we opened six kitchens. Once we opened that infrastructure, 20-25% uh, of the chefs in the platform in New York expanded to our cities. That would have been really hard for them to do through restaurants by opening restaurants, construction, permitting, raising capital, and all that. Um, <clears throat> we have several chefs in the platform right now that are in all our kitchens and have nationwide distribution. For a chef, for a food creator, be able to offer their recipes uh, nationwide, that is unprecedented. So there is a lot of science of scalability that even our model that needs a good amount of capital, and, and, and as I said, is complex, um, is finding good ways to scale better than other food models. That's really helpful. That's really helpful. Yeah, I can only imagine how complex um, Cooking Unity is. Um, obviously, you're dealing with atoms and not software. And so um, it's, and also with also perishables and just a, a lot, you know, a lot of temperature controls and making sure that, that they're, and and the actual quality control with the with the ingredients and products. So, totally totally understand it from that standpoint. What's how how do you also think about you know generating demand for users and and for people that actually want to um, experience cooking unity and um, what has also been the had did you see a bit of a bump or or an increase um, substantially uh, during the pandemic? Let me start with the second the second question. Um, when the pandemic started, like we're a New York born and raised company, so we were in the we were in New York in in March 2020. But when when that happened, we were a tiny seed stage company that we just raised our seed um, six million, and we were doing four million of um, recurring revenue. So the pandemic, um, the start of the pandemic for us uh, wasn't too meaningful from, from, from a standpoint of customers and growth. It was obviously very meaningful in operations and day-to-day -day and the things that everyone had to navigate because the awareness for Google was almost zero back then. And, and we just raised our seed round, which was great, but it's not enough capital to like, go out there and like, do uh, a lot of like, marketing. So the first few months of the pandemic, we continue growing, but not in a meaningful, different way than before. What happened in the pandemic for us, and I will connect with uh, how we do marketing and how we like try to introduce community and, and, and get community out there, 
What happened then is with that first injection of capital, the most important mission for us was to build the supply first, right? I mean, of course, everyone wants to grow and we need to like figure out acquisition. But for us, the most important moment, the thing back then, early 2020, was to build a really, really special supply. Because as a marketplace, the, the, the unique uh, uh, positioning that we can uh, have in, the, in, in a very like abundant universe of options as food is that we can bring meals and bring creators that you cannot find otherwise, right? Um, or if you can find otherwise, you cannot find it at that price point. So we were uh, very focused on building supply back then. And what happened with the pandemic is not that the demand increased significantly, but that chefs that were interested when we reached out at the end of 2019 and early 2020, what an interesting concept, this, that, but they will say like, okay, let's talk next year. I'm busy opening a new restaurant. All of a sudden, they reprioritize uh, exploring new options, of course. So in a matter of nine, 90 days, we had eight, 10 of the best chefs in, of New York City in our platform. And that started spinning the flywheel of PR, awareness, them posting their social media, more amazing food coming, more chef referrals. So like, like what, 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 what started the, the flywheel for us was uh, building the supply and, and that process that might have taken several years to convince them and to earn their trust. And that happened in months because of that unique event. That's interesting that it's, it wasn't so much the demand, so to speak, in the first you know, um, 30, 60, 90 days. It was actually increasing the supply because, of course, chefs um, didn't have their restaurants during the pandemic. Uh, those were closed. And so they needed other ways to to supplement. And so they were, so they were looking at, uh, at cooking unity. And I imagine some of these chefs, since they're some of the top chefs, they, they, they have their own followings and home and, and their own, um, their own brands that they've created. And so that also I'm sure was, was a bit of a bump for, um, uh, for cooking unity, which is really cool. Yeah. And in that moment, uh, also the, the customers were at home. So it was um, more relevant than ever to be able to access some of their favorite chefs, that in a normal world, they might go to a restaurant once a month, but now that restaurant is not uh, available temporarily, but at least I can get it delivered to my home. Um, so, so yeah, that was great. We're very proud of that moment. Of course, the pandemic was tough um, in many, many ways, but we're proud. We're very proud of that moment. We're very grateful that, uh, that not about the pandemic, but we're very grateful from, for the chefs that gave us a chance. And I'm very proud and grateful uh, for our team then when given the opportunity, we didn't let them down and we have 100% retention. And um, as I said to, to, to our team and to all our stakeholders, the most important currency we have with our chef partners is uh, trust. Um, so we need, we need to like always honor that and, and nurture that trust with them. How, what will it take once you've, re I mean, I know that you've, 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 um, you've produced you know, a million meals and you're growing extremely rapidly. At what point, how large do you have to be cooking unity in order to be, you know, a fairly profitable business? Do you, do you reckon? Um, six to nine months or uh, 50, 60% more growth. Oh, cool. Cool. Awesome. Awesome. That's great. That's great. Um, how do you also, 
think what's like the next plan of action when it comes to growth in terms of specific CDs or or sectors that you want to expand to? Yeah, so let me let me let me share our vision, our fuller vision in um, in a relatively simple way, but hopefully in an, in an exciting way. We didn't start Gugiti thinking we want to build kitchens and we want to create a subscription service and we want to uh, deliver uh, uh, prepare meals to homes. We started Gugiti thinking the world needs a platform where the best chefs and food creators offer their best dishes, their best products, and it's like affordable and accessible and you can connect to them. And it, 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 it significantly um, uh, improves accessibility for both. And the subscription and the prepared meals and the kitchens were like the first how we do that. But like we call that Kukiti 1.0 and we, we have like different 2.0, 3.0, 4.0, 5.0 in our, in our minds. Um, in some in some way, I mean, we have some very specific ideas, but obviously this hasn't been proven. We want to figure out how to um, create this global platform where an amazing chef in New York not only can go to Austin or to LA, but can sell the recipes in Sydney or in Rio de Janeiro or in Hong Kong every night, everywhere, right? We want to become the world's food library um, in, in many ways, we think that this is important um, even, I mean, I won't go as far as saying um, it's important for like cultural preservation, but there is a risk of sameness and like with convenience, everything being similar that I think cookie is going in the opposite direction. It's very healthy. Um, then consumers will be able to choose whatever they want. But the fact that we can provide an always growing diversity of backgrounds, stories, flavors, cuisines is, is very, very important for us. And in the uh, upcoming Kukinitis evolutions, after what we're doing now, the next one is opening the marketplace for more, more type of food creators. So not only uh, chefs, but pastry chefs, or like uh, maybe even a uh, a TikTok food influencer that is extremely creative in, in, in the ideas, in her or his ideas, but not necessarily um, savvy in producing food at scale. So like, how can that person that has a 2 million followers on TikTok, how can that person monetize their meals and, and sell their meals? Like those are the type of problems that we're interested in solving. We're also interested in offering much more than proper meals because some people love to cook, but might not, know how to do kimchi, for example, or might not have the time to do kimchi, that need to ferment and this and that every time. Um, so maybe we don't sell, um, uh, uh, we will never sell groceries because uh, we will always stick to chef, chef-inspired chef and chef-crafted products. But um, maybe even the person that enjoys and knows how to cook and grill a chicken breast, maybe can want to pair that with kimchi or pair that with an amazing sauce like secret sauce from Marfor Joan, and like we can provide that, right? Um, so more products, even digital experience. Uh, we did our first cooking class with uh, Chef Esther Choi a few weeks weeks ago. It was a success. Um, so I think it's uh, more products, more creators, and adding uh, digital experiences as well. What's one book that's inspired you personally and one book would you say that's inspired you professionally? If I have to mention one, um, based 
because we're talking about food, chefs, and, and how Cookit is trying to, to, to reinvent the at-home eating experience, I think a highly influential book for me and for many people in Cookit in our team is uh, Setting the Table from Danny Mayer, a restaurateur in New York, that I think that um, what is unique and what is ahead of uh, the time when uh, he wrote the book and when I read the book is um, an approach and a vision for hospitality that I think is much more like is applied to the restaurant, but it could be applied in many and, 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 and hospitality and leadership, like leadership through hospitality that is applied to like in his case and his organization applied to a restaurant. Right. But to me it was highly influential in break a little bit, the classic um, consumer company business, like even the word consumer, right? Like even like renaming and like being intentional about the language that you use, right? Guest. Um, there is a lot of culture and, and like um, and intentionality that you can put in, in, in how you um, design your customer experience, um, inspired with the hospitality. And we're trying to do that even in the digital experience um, or even if you receive a box or a bag and the chef is not there or you don't have like the candles and the nice smells and, and, I mean, you'll have them when you when you open the bags, but um, how can you connect with the guest? How can you open what you do, like the, like an open kitchen, but in a digital realm? How can you help the chef connect with the guest? How can you empathize? How can you delight um, the the guest or the eater in, in, in at home? And for us, that inspire us, that can motivate us. We um, remember every day that our meals are produced in large volumes in our four walls and this and that, but they're consumed by real people in real settings after a tough day or celebrating something or friends are meeting um, and, and like just having fun. So I think that book is highly in, in, inspirational in terms of customer experience, even though it's not a book that is called UX or, 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 or customer experience book per se. Um, then, I mean, so many, but um, the Patagonia um, founder book, um, Let My People Go Surfing. And I'm, I'm giving examples. I mean, there's so many books that are amazing about business. Um, I, I think that was kind of the, the narrow universe that you asked business or inspiration for business. But um, I'm, I'm sharing two examples that are a little bit lateral, that they talk about business, but not necessarily in the more theory of management or theory of business way. Uh, the Patagonia book is amazing because it, it, it offers a more kind of a, a different approach, a more controlling approach in if you hire people are passionate about what the company do and if you empower them and if people have fun and the people have freedom, kind of culture will be great and they will be great, they will do great things and you don't need to like be kind of investing all the time in people like kind bars and like fancy things that, I mean, you can have them anyway, right? But uh, people are here for the right reasons. And I think that's such a powerful book. I really appreciate you sharing these, uh, Stand the Table and Let My People Go Surfing. They've both been mentioned before uh, uh, several times. I, I still need to read them, but they're definitely on the list. That's that's great. Um, Mateo, what's my my final question to you is what's what's one piece of advice you ha- you have right now for um, for for founders who are who are looking to build a 
venture backable business? Um, I mean, if this is for, I mean, first is like do it. If you're like, if you're in the fence or if you're like thinking about it, like do it. It will be like one of the one of the most powerful um, um, human experiences that you can have. Like life, life is too short and this is one of the most powerful and real human experiences that you can have. It might end up well, it might not end up well, but it will be powerful and it will be rich. It will be very, very, um, it will be a, a, a really uh, real growth experience. Um, but an advice for someone um, um, in that moment and thinking about that is um, probably based on the current macro context, I think it's very important to try to cut through the noise and go back to the fundamentals, which is identifying a big problem that you that you care about, ideally, that you're passionate about, ideally, because as, as Steve Jobs said, um, this is so hard um, that, I mean, it will be hard that any rational people will quit if they don't have like that, that deeper connection to what they're doing, that deeper passion and motivation for what they're doing. Um, so I think that level of energy you will need it. So choose something that you care about ideally. But like, let's go back to the fundamentals of like solving a big problem for a lot of people with a superior solution that doesn't exist. And like, if you if you do that and you stay uh, alive <laughs> enough, very likely uh, you'll on the other side be very proud of what you build. You'll be surrounded by great people, and you can be surprised of. Um, how big it can become. Um, I hope our story get much, gets much bigger, but um, you can be, get surprised by how big it can become just just by doing those things consistently, relentlessly. No, that's a great, it's a really great, great point about how consistency can can compound uh, throughout over time and as well as just, just do it if you're thinking about doing it. Um, Mateo, thank you so much for your time. This has been a lot of fun chatting with you. Thank you. And there you have it. It was great chatting with Mateo. I hope you all enjoyed listening. If you're enjoying this podcast, also subscribe to the newsletter at theconsumervc.com.